Welcome to the third part in a series from Rabbi Joseph Dweck. In this episode, we will be discussing the introduction to Misilati Sharim, the dialogue version. Enjoy. We welcome everyone for this um, continuation of Ramchal's introduction of the dialogue version. Um, we've again been left on a cliffhanger, so we look forward to to the next part and we might be finishing today we might be finishing next week um it's up to you rav um at your pace and uh, thank thank you thank you thank you avi thank you Sina. all right so um it does depend it depends on we'll either finish tonight or next week depending on our pace you know and how it is that we get through this um and i would like to also look at how it is that some of this stuff is looked at by Harambam. Um, and we can see some differences perhaps in it. So I'm going to share the screen and we can bring up uh, our text where we've been. If you recall, uh, those of you who were, who were involved last time, we finally got the Hacham, the Hasid finally got the Hacham to admit and we'll look at it over here. He says, he says, because it's true that there were many times I didn't think that this was, you know, this the delving into and studying the nature of love and fear and and all of these kinds of things was necessary. Because they seem to be so straightforward. However, there were other times I, I was agitated over the fact that it must be that there must be something more. Since there's an obligation for a person to seek the wholeness of his, of his soul, right? To be able to bring himself into fullness, wholeness. And to refine his, his attributes, to be able to refine himself. To find favor in the eyes of his creator, uh, that this needed more attention. He goes, but as soon as they come, came, they would leave. Like it wasn't anything that would hold for me very much. Or I got distracted from something. I never really ended up taking to it and focusing on it. Goes, but if I'm being completely honest with you, I don't really have a good answer for you as to why I haven't looked at these things. I have other, other elements uh, into, in their depth. So the Hasid says, we saw this last time, this first paragraph, he goes, right? In all of my uh, studies and delving into these things and all of the work of my prishut, prishut literally means my keeping from uh, putting boundaries <coughs> around things in my life. <coughs> the hardest thing we do in life is to achieve our fullness, our wholeness, and our, and our true being. It is a difficult endeavor. Because there are obstacles upon obstacles, barriers upon barriers. Kulam Hazakim, they're all powerful. Excuse my uh, yawning a little bit. I'm still a bit jet lagged, so I apologize for that, but I'm going to try and keep a, uh, control of it. Kulam Kashimeod, they're all very difficult. They're like these high walls that are double bolted. And after you end up making it through one, uh, or several of them there's still more many more that a person has to get through and I told you last time this is referred to in psychology or in um, you know self-development as, as layers of, a, of an onion so that there are core issues that we have and the work to be able to delve through them and develop uh, ourselves and to peel away at them and to uh, to get through the various layers of issues that we have that uh, that keep us from our true selves and our wholeness are many. I mean, they're like layers of an onion. And it takes a tremendous amount of effort and work and consistency and diligence in order to be able to address them. So I mentioned that last time. And 
took a bit of, of uh, took a few minutes to be able to emphasize that. So we're going to continue now uh, in the reading of Haram ha, in the Rahal and see where he takes this. He says, "Hello, Here's a look. If we're honest, the majority of people in the world are not um, highly enlightened people, right? It's not that they don't have intelligence. People can be quite intelligent, but not necessarily enlightened. Yeah, they don't necessarily have a great deal of, of knowledge, learning, awareness. And, and the minority of the human population are people that are quite enlightened and educated and aware. And then one of the reasons, there are several reasons for that, but one major reason, reason for that is because it takes a tremendous amount of effort to be able to be a person who is knowledgeable and aware in a significant way, right? And even among the people that are intelligent, that are just naturally intelligent, most of them didn't really spend a lot of time studying deeply. And it goes without saying that they may have studied a lot of data and know a lot of information, but have not necessarily refined their character as a good, um, a good place to house that data. Rather, they go about their ways of the world whether it's their business or whatever have you, or they sit and do nothing on one level or another. And there are few who actually seek a tremendous amount of study, learning, and understanding. And even the people who hold these wisdoms, right? They hold this knowledge uh, after going after it and studying it. Most of them will know what they know superficially. They will not delve deeply into what it is that they know. Yeah, they won't get into the depths of what is it they know. You can even see this in terms of many people who have been at university and have all kinds of degrees. You start to, uh, you know, scratch away at what it is that they wrote their thesis on what it is that they've spent their time studying in, in, uh, in their uh, hours of school, and you realize that there's not a tremendous amount of depth to what it is that they know. They know what the, it is that they studied in order to be able to get their degree, but they don't uh, swim in it, as it were. It's not often that one finds one uh, to be that way. And rather, it's bishithayut, it's quite superficial, and... Um, and it's not something that, uh, you know, that you end up finding a lot of depth in. It's a minority within the minority, within the minority, who actually delve deeply into what it is that they study and understand it in, in, intricately, right? In an intricate and integral way. They know it actively and not just because they have a title. Right, and even about of these people who do spend a tremendous amount of time sitting and studying and getting into it, the majority of them are not doing it because they have God in their lives at all, nor that they recognize that there's any reason to do this for any higher purpose. They just like knowing things. They enjoy wisdom. It's a personal endeavor. Same way that people deal with food. You know, you have high connoisseurs of food. They have Instagram, uh, you know, uh, accounts on it, and they spend all of their time delving into the food things. And wisdom is the same. People just spend a lot of time. It's a very, uh, you know, sometimes it's just they make their life about these things. But you, the, a group of people, or if you find the, 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 the number of people that engage in this study because it is commanded that they should, right? In other words, that the Torah says to them, this is what it is that you should do in order to be able to fulfill your knowledge of God and to connect to God. They are a minority of a minority of a minority. They're, the, they're, they're a small amount. 
And therefore, because they're not doing this in terms of ultimately what God wants, they have left the path of perishut. They have left the path of setting boundaries for themselves and truly individuating, right? Why am I calling perishut individuation? And uh, individuation is a term coined by Carl Jung, which is the process of becoming an individual. Right, a true, a true, genuine, unique individual calls it individuating. Why am I calling Pirishut individuating? Because uh, in Perashat Kedoshim, it, it says Kedoshim to you, and Rashi on that Pasuk explains Kedoshim to you, Perushim to you. And Kadosh does not mean holy in the English sense, Kadosh literally means uh, set apart. Right, so something mukdash is something that is set apart. It's set clearly, uniquely. And when Hakadosh Baruch Hu says kedoshim to you, kikadosh ani, you set yourselves apart because I am utterly apart. Right, I am unique, utterly unique, Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And so too should you be. The perishut that Rashi is speaking about is individuated life. And where you recognize what you are and hold yourself as such and understand that you are uh, connected to God by the very breath that God put into you as your soul. And that is something that is important for us to recognize and do. And therefore, our whole focus and goal is to be able to know God. And, uh, and the entire purpose of our being is to be able to uniquely know God as we know him, right? And that's one of the reasons why, for example, what I mean as we know him, as I know him, as opposed to as you know him or anyone else knows him. It's a particular, unique, uh, individuated relationship, which is why in the Amidah we will say, Elohe Abraham, Elohe Tzhak, Elohe Yaakov. Why don't we just say that he's Elohe Avi and Abotenu? We do say that, but then we specify it. Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yaakov. The Gemara says that each one of them recognized the Kadosh Baruch Hu in different ways. They, their perspective and how it was that they related to Kadosh Baruch Hu is different based on who they were. Not that they saw God as being something different, but the manner in which they related to God was different. And it was unique in terms of just as unique as they were. They were highly individuated indiv people. And so really what Pirishut is, is recognizing what it is that I need to do in order to be able to keep myself being myself. And one analogy that I usually give to this is your immune system, right? Your immune system, in order for it to work, must recognize what is and is not you. It has to understand what is your own cells, what are your own cells, what are, what are the, the parts that make you up so that it does not attack you as being something foreign. And that's one of the problems. A, a malfunctioning immune system is when there are autoimmune diseases. When the immune system recognizes the self as being a foreign and intrusive. A good uh, functioning immune system recognizes alien bodies, alien viruses, bacterium, and so on, that come into the body and need to be attacked so that they do not take the body over, that these foreign aliens do not end up taking you over. So the pirishut that we are talking about over here is essentially the pirishut of an immune system, but it's a spiritual immune system. It is a, an, a, an immune system that recognizes the whole of your being, not just, not just your physical cells, but the uniqueness of your entity. Right, the uniqueness of who it is that you are, that Akadosh Baruch Hu created you. And that requires individuating. It requires recognizing that you are utterly unique and not like other things. And you need to then, therefore, in order to be who you are properly, is to be able to draw appropriate boundaries between you and those things which would draw you away from being you. Yes. So it's not just foods and things, it's behaviors. What kinds of behaviors uh, draw you away from the unique uh, holistic self that you are and can be? Well, much of that, much of that are animalistic drives. Right? In other words, 
there are aspects of ourselves that are quite generic. The uh, older, more primal aspects of our brain, the limbic system, the lizard brain, that uh, are responsible for fight, flight, feeding, and procreation, have uh, you know auto responses, instinctual responses to certain stimuli in the world, are quite generalized because they are survival oriented. Their survival of not you, your unique, conscious, self-aware, individuated uh, being, but rather the conglomerate of uh, genes that carry your DNA code. And that's a very different way of relating to oneself. If you only relate to yourself, as Dawkins says, as a gene machine, which is basically this highly sophisticated machine that is geared and over uh, thousands of years of evolution, uh, honed to be able to pass genes on in, a, in an, an effective and efficient way, if you look at yourself only in those biological terms, you reduce yourself and cut yourself away from the higher individuated self that you are. I hope you're with me. So in order to be able to achieve that higher individuated self that God created, that is much more than just a gene machine, it requires pirishut. It requires a recognition of self as opposed to non-self. And the more that a person matures and develops and grows, the more a person has an awareness of who one is and what one should do and what one cannot do because it will draw one away from oneself. It requires boundaries, which essentially is Purishut. And the study that the Hasid here is talking about is study to come to the awareness, essentially, of self and one's relationship with, with one's creator, which is who we call HaKadosh Baruch. And that is a very, very sophisticated uh, knowledge and development. It requires a tremendous amount of knowledge and nuance. And this is why one of the reasons it's important to be able to study about the world and to study about oneself, because the more one knows about the nature of reality, the, one knows, the more one knows about oneself, and the nature of the reality in which one finds oneself. And if one is not aware of those things in a significant, deep way, one is walking through the world blindly. So it's not enough just to know the Torah because the Torah tells you, okay, this is how you should relate to it. Or this is what it is that you might be able to, a lens through which you may be able to see it. But if you don't know what it is you're looking at, you can't see it at all. It doesn't matter what kind of lenses you have. You wear, I'm wearing lenses now. If I close my eyes, I can't see anything. They don't help me. Lenses only help when you are seeing something, looking at something. When light is bouncing off of something and entering your eye. So then my lens refracts the light so that I can see things clearly. That's what the Torah is. It's a kilihemda. It's a precious vessel that helps us understand the world, not something that we are supposed to use to shield us from the world. And the more Torah that I know, and the more I study about the world itself, which clearly the Ramchal pointed out, must be studied, right? He said clearly that you have to know all about the world. In addition to the Torah, when I am able to see my world through the lens of the Torah, I, I am most equipped to be able to be who it is that I need to be to avoid the things that will cause me a breakdown of self. And it is extremely important to understand that there is a myriad of things that cause me a breakdown of self. So even if a person was born into the most loving, caring, nurturing family, which is usually not the case. Even if a person was born into the most loving, caring, nurturing family, they knew that this child was the greatest blessing. They gave this child just the right amount of mentoring and, and discipline and individuality and wisdom and so on and so forth. Even if a person is born into all of that, 
he still has the evolutionary drives that he has to deal with that pull one away from one's own individuality because they are geared toward genetic survival, not your heightened, developed, holistic, individuated self. I hope you're all following me. If you're not, listen to the class again. That's why we record. And then listen to it again until you get it. So that's the Parishut, right? Now, if you add on to that, a child who's born into not the most uh, nurturing, warm, and caring home, any level of trauma, it becomes exponentially more difficult. Because even the natural evolutionary drives that are there and base become honed for protection. And the things that might have protected somebody in childhood in rudimentary ways do not work to, to help develop a person in adulthood. They actually are counterproductive and quite difficult. And that's one of the reasons why mental health is so important and well-being. Because like Harambam says in Hilchot, uh, in Hilchot De'ot, and for that matter in Yesodei Torah, a hole cannot serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And a hole is just somebody who's off. It doesn't matter whether he's physically off or mentally off. It doesn't matter. And we all suffer both physical and mental health issues in the course of our lives. It's normal and natural. Some of us more than others, others some of us more severe than others, but regardless, it doesn't matter. So especially if there is some element of childhood trauma, the boundary, the barriers, not the boundaries, the obstacles and barriers that a person has to face in order to be able to get through and find one's wholeness are formidable and constant. So the people that just study in order to study and they don't study in order to be able to develop themselves and connect to God are essentially using the study as some element of enjoyment. They lose themselves in their, in their books, so to speak. They use the learning as a way to shield themselves from the real issues of their lives. Since the things that bring them to delving into the wisdom is only the enjoyment of the, of the endeavor, Right? They won't end up worrying about how it is that I'm supposed to deal with my life in terms of what it is that I know. It, it remains entirely intellectual. So what do I call Hasidim, says the Hasid? The Hasid says the people that I call Hasidim are people that are of this minority, minority, minority. That they recognize that the goal of their lives is in order to be able to live, which is essentially what we call Hasid to be all that they can be, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created them to be. And so they are Hasidim because they dedicate themselves to this. Because uh, it's clear that the, the ultimate goal of everything that we do should only be what it is that God wants us to do. And what else is there? There's nothing more real than that. So the Hasidim, they are constantly endeavoring in order to be able to fulfill that. I'm not surprised. That these things kind of like flash into your mind of thinking maybe I should spend more time on the, on the love and fear of God and then they leave right away because Right? I mean, we're after all physical. What he means by that, he doesn't have the language to say it. What he means by that is it's a Darwinian thing. Because we are evolved species and because we are deeply programmed for survival, genetic survival, not, uh, not a whole holistic individuated survival. They counter each other. Genetic survival is, is against our own holistic individuated survival. 
because you're taking too much time to develop yourself and wasting energies and resources. Just pass your genes on and get out of the way and stick around just enough time to keep the fetus viable. Otherwise, you're using up resources and you're messing around with, uh, with how things need to move on. And that's why there's such conflict between the, the, the prefrontal cortex and the, the more basal elements of the brain. They're competing. And why so often in our lives, the limbic system, which is responsible for the fight-flight uh, protective elements, vetoes whatever it is that the prefrontal cortex thinks is best. It takes a tremendous amount of work to be able to move the veto power into the front rather than the back. So he says, I'm not surprised. I mean, you know, you're a human being that is in an evolutionary entity or an evolutionary animal, and you are not programmed for these enlightened thoughts. It goes directly counter to everything that you're programmed to be as a genetic machine. And so, of course, it's going to be a hikenumina shlimut. It's going to keep you away from all kinds of shlimut because it doesn't have time, nor effort, nor energy, nor interest in your shlimut. I mean, the minute you start feeling that way, start thinking in terms of your own personal development, everything in you that is much older than your new... That's why the, another word for the prefrontal cortex is the neocortex. It's brand new. The, the basal brain and the, and, the, and the brain that is responsible for the instinctual responsive protective elements is the old brain that's shared across all mammalian species and the lizard brain is shared across all, all reptilian species. It's the oldest part of it. And that's why the Achamim say that the Yetzer Hara is like a melech zaken uchsil. What does that mean? It means he's an old and stupid king. Why? He's old because he's been there forever. I mean, even if you don't want to look at it on an evolutionary level, which I don't know why you wouldn't, but even if you don't, the, the, the uh, limbic system of the brain is, complete, is completely developed in a human being by eight months of gestation. Gestation means in the womb. By eight months in the womb, the limbic brain is completely developed. And that means it's already learning. You know when the prefrontal cortex is completely developed? About age 24, 25. So, I mean, look at the competition. So it's a melech, why? Because it's got veto power. Zaken, it's been around for much longer. And it's ksil, it doesn't have any planning capabilities. It doesn't have any, any judging capabilities. It responds in the moment to whatever the stimuli are. So he's saying, of course you have this problem. It'll just bring you back down. It's not going to let you rise if it, if it can have the best of you. And it uses all kinds of rationalizations in order to be able to get you back into it. You know exactly what it is that he's talking about because it happens to all of us. Right? These are not esoteric things. The Satan is obviously the prosecutor. That is looked at by the Achamim as a Malach. What does that mean? It means it's the element of us that has to come clean and say, yeah, at the end of the day, I was rationalizing. I convinced myself what was bad for me was good for me. Who's me? The whole me, the developed me. It's the inclination that gets me to do all kinds of creatively destructive things. It uses my creative drive, my creative capacity. And what is the creative capacity? That's in the prefrontal cortex because it's able to entertain realities that aren't here. So you get the limbic system to, to control the prefrontal cortex. And you've got all kinds of creative ways you can feed your drives. And then make it reasonable. 
It's what will kill you at the end of the day. And keep you away from the whole life that you, on one level, want. These, of course, are all of the restrictions and barriers and pulls that come every hour and every moment in our lives on various levels. But Matsati, so he says, look, what I've found in my work, in my own development, I'm only sharing with you my, my experience, right? This is what the Hasid saying to the Chacham. That if a person does not set time to self-examine in realistic ways, that he really, you really start doing in proper inventory. We don't do this. You know, we talk about uh, preparing for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Forget about what he's not even talking about Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. He's just saying, that what does a person do with his life? But even in terms of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, nobody does Avodah for Rosh Hashanah. What is it to prepare for Rosh Hashanah? It's to recognize that Kadosh Baruch Hu is going to be judging you. You want to have mutual involvement in that judgment. Otherwise, you could stay home and not pay attention, right? I mean, obviously, the whole point of Rosh Hashanah is you should be engaged with your own self-awareness and, and assessment. But most of us don't actually do inventories. We just kind of go in there thinking, oh, I, there's a few things in my head that I know that I've done that stand out. It's one of the reasons why the 12 steps have been very effective for people in helping their addictive tendencies, which is this that's gone to an extreme. Step four requires a proper inventory. You need to go through bit by bit, detail after detail, in order to be able to look at yourself with what they call rigorous honesty. I mean, there's nothing in there that isn't la huh? And so what he's saying is you need to set time with rigorous honesty and careful scrutiny. The same way that a, a businessman would look after his, his inventory. Right? He's talking about an inventory over here. One needs to take inventory in oneself. It's all he's saying. If one cares. You don't do this. There is absolutely no way that a person is going to best these drives that have been developing over millions of years. Good luck. These things have been going on for millions of years and you've got 70, 80, if you're lucky, maybe 90 nowadays, which is nothing. It's a blink of an eye until you actually become aware of who you are. What do you have? A couple decades. How long? And you think you're going to best a million years of development? And that's why the Hachamim say in the Gemara, if it wasn't for the fact that Gadosh Baruch Hu is helping you to do this, you would never be able to surmount. I mean, you end up falling into a, a pit without really awareness of where you are. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu's first thing to Adam HaRishon is Ayeka. Well, HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't know where he was. It was that complicated of a garden. The Ayeka is, do you know where you are, Adam? Can you speak to me, your coordinates? Do you have any sense of where you are? And where you're holding in yourself? When a person is so immersed in the limbic system controlling one's life, you don't realize where you are until it's too late. That is a major principle. What is the major principle? That one must, must practice self-assessment and inventory. And it is such a major principle for every human being, doesn't matter how much you know or how little you know, it has nothing to do with it because your limbic system will function regardless of how much you know. There is no difference. 
Humans are humans are humans are humans. It does not, you cannot stop being human. And that's a very important point that the Ramchal is making. When he says, between hachamim and tipshim, what he's essentially saying is, a human being cannot not be human. No matter what you do, you cannot get out of it. Doesn't matter how long your beard is, doesn't matter how much you study, doesn't matter how, uh, you know, whatever, you wear the right clothes, doesn't matter. A human being is a human being and you cannot get rid of that. So you have to deal with the human in human terms. And if you're going to deal with the human in human terms, you must know that you are an evolutionary gene machine. Without knowing that, you don't know what you're dealing with. So you'll say, well, the Hachamim didn't know about Darwinian evolution. They're right, you're right, they did, but they did. Because they treated the Yetzir as, as the formidable force that it is. They might not have known where it comes from, but they had no question as to its power and force on the human being. And they're able to say, oh, look, we know that it's a Melech Zaken Uchsi. It's got veto power, it's old as heck, and it is stupid. All right, so if you want to listen to the Hachamim as they are, and they speak to you as they speak to you, and don't think that they're neurotic or that they're exaggerating, then fine. All Darwin did was reinforce everything the Hachamim observed from another side of the human condition. All he did was say, oh, this is why it is that way. It is that way. This is the reason why it's this way on a biological level. So the Hacham says, goes, Your words not only are coming into my ears, they're drilling down into the core of my being, of my heart. Which means, and the reason why the Hacham would say this is not just because the Ramchal is both of these people, <laughs> but rather because the Hacham will admit what's true. A hacham who has a straight heart, who has a straight mind, who is genuinely intellectually honest, will admit. He goes, I, I, honestly, I would like to ask you to teach me, to show me how it is you do this. And I'll walk with you. Because I do see now that you have a benefit over me, with all of my wisdom and all that I know, you have a benefit over me, like the benefit of light over darkness. And I can say about me what the Navi said about anybody who opens their eyes and sees their own uh, iniquity and difficult you know, problems. That after I return, I can regret and recognize the error of my ways, right? What is the Harishubi? After I've come to clarity, that's why another proof that Teshubah is cognitive, right? Real Teshubah is an understanding and an awareness. That after my awareness, I've come to remorse. I recognize that I have missed something here, a major thing. And after my knowing what it is that I've done wrong, I smack my, 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 my thigh, right? And say, oh, I made a mistake. As he says, look, I mean, if I've if I found favor in your eyes, then uh, right? He's borrowing the terms from uh, from uh, Moshe Rabbeinu talking to Kadosh Baruch and he says, show me your ways. Teach me what you've studied, what you've learned, in all of your delving into these things. And to you, of course, it would be a righteous thing to do. Now, this is where essentially the introduction stops. But even this part, the Hobata Adam al Boro, is much more developed in the dialogue form than in the chapter form. But we're not going to read all of this right now. I'm going to read another section with you with the time remaining that we have. Because this section really just is an argument between the Hacham and the Hasid as to the goal of human beings, right? Why is a human being created? And we don't need to get into the argument, right? One argument is that he's created in order to be able to enjoy the world. The other is the argument that he's created in order to be able to know God. You can read that if you want. I'm not going to go through all of it. What I want to do is I want to bring you to the end of that. So you see where the Ramchal then brings him and how he structures the book. 
Because remember what he says at the begin in the middle of the discussion over here. He says that we learn what we need to do from this line of Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Remember that before? So he unpacks that over here. And that's what we're going to look at. And we'll finish with. So the Hasid says, he goes, he goes, we've established then the main obligation of a human being that all of his aimings, right, all of his turnings, all of his goals should be to God, right? Now that is straight out of what? That's straight out of the Rambam. Right, that's exactly what Harambam says. And Il Khodot, which I'll show you in one second. I'm gonna stop this for a second. I'll show you where this. Uno momento. Arambam says, kulam. A human being must aim his heart and all of his deeds. Bilbad to know God only. Nothing more. His sitting, his standing, his talking, meaning all that he does. Yeah. Must be all facing opposite that thing. Then Arambam gives examples of it. He does this, you know, gives examples and basics. So that is what the Ramhal is saying over here. He's simply quoting the halakha of Arambam. And he's saying, we've established, everything should, be, should only be to the Bore. There should be no other aim. No other goal. In everything that a person, anything a person does. Literally, as what Harabam says, im katan, im gadol. Your goal is to be able to connect and to become close to Kadosh Baruch Hu. And to break all of the barriers and all of the partitions that keep you from your maker, from your creator, ben ol ben kono. What are they? All of the physicality and everything tied to it. Now, people read this wrongly because they think that all of a sudden Ramhal is becoming a Christian. And that he's saying, oh, you know, all physical things are bad. That is not what he's saying. When he says humriyut, he's talking about the ulam hazeh things, which means what? What I've explained to you. He's talking about the primal, limbic, protective, evolutionary elements that are shared across humanity for biological genetic survival. And that is a question of not deed as much as perspective. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah? Right? So the point, so you get to the point that you're like a magnet. That's literally what that means. Like you're like you're like the barzel, like you're like the iron that run that that uh, clings to the to the magnet, to the stone that is a magnet. Anything that you might think is a, a, a means through which you can achieve this. You run after it, you hold it tight, don't let it go. Whatever you think would be keeping you from this connection, run away from it like it's fire. As it says in the Pasuk, my soul has clings to you, clings after you. 
my right hand is, is holding on to you. All of our coming into this world, is only for that goal. To cling, to connect to Kadosh Baruch Hu, and to escape and stay away from all of the things that keep you from that connection. So obviously, the more we live immersed in response to the drives that are aiming at genetic survival for that sake, the less we allow for our unique individual selves to be able to become, to develop the Tzela Meluim, which is what allows for us to connect. And that's all he's saying here, which is precisely what it is that Harambam says in Hilchodero. People read this and they read it like Christians. And they don't realize that he's not talking about that. It's very, very clear. If you have the appropriate framework to read it. Now, he says, uh, Now, we had to think about this little Ramchal is very big on studying principles and understanding the details after one studies principles. He says, when we study the principles in order to be able to know the details, Matanu Rashehem Hamisha. There are five key principles that one must be aware of and engage in in order to be able to achieve this goal of knowing God. How does he know this? Because Moshe Rabbeinu says that. He says, right? It's an amazing pasuk. Because Moshe is saying, look, at the end of the day, with everything that I'm telling you, what is it that God wants from you? So he gives us what it is that God wants, and there are five things. To fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to love Him with all of your heart and soul, and to keep the mitzvot. So He goes through them now. Now, when He goes through them, here we will see discrepancy between how it is that Harambam presents them and the way that he presents them. Now, it doesn't mean that these are not included in one or the other, but it's interesting that they focus on different aspects. So he says, look, the first thing is yira, the first thing is fear, reverence. He says, what does that mean? That a person should have reverence and fear of the greatness of God, right? Like a person who's sitting before a great king, which is for us already very difficult to relate to. In Esova Yira, he goes, the ultimate level of this fear, that this should just be become part of one's consciousness, that one lives knowing that there is this impinging reality of God that is always there at all times. And it should be part of one's framework of thought. It should be how one sees the world. And one should have a feeling of reserve. In many uh, circumstances means embarrassment, but he's not talking about embarrassment in the sense of shame. He's saying a recognition of I am vulnerable. I mean, I'm a small entity compared to God. I'm not equal. And in everything that we do, we should recognize ourselves as such in front of him. To the point that you are constantly in a state of uh, right? That you, 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 there is a reverberation, right? There is a shaking of sorts, trembling before God. That's why, by the way, the Haredim call themselves Haredim. But we leave that for another time. I'm not sure that they're following this. He goes, of course, that level of fear is extremely difficult for any human being to reach. It's in, it's in, you know, it's an immense level of consciousness and awareness. Because you're just not set up for it. You know, your physicality, the way that you're set up, doesn't really, it's not wired for that kind of level of consciousness. I'll talk more about it later. But there are levels. The higher one gets in that level, the better. 
Right? So this is what Arambam says about this. He says it again. Harambam says things in much more basic uh, principles rather than these, these details. He says, First of all, he says very clearly that this yira is a mitzvah. Right? There's a mitzvah to fear him as there is to love him. And he says, how do you love him? You look at the world, right? We've been through this many times. You look at the world and see, and he says, and, and, and when a person starts to calculate the details of creation, right? Of, of this world, this universe and all of its makeup. And you start to think about how it's made and its immensity. I mean, you just think about the, the Milky Way galaxy alone. Forget about the entire universe. Miyad hu means you reel back in awareness of who you are in the scheme of things. and you have fright even, right? You're fearful. and you begin, you know, and you realize that you are this minuscule, tiny, dark uh, entity that is standing in this, in this minor light sense of consciousness, in front of the all-pervasive capital C consciousness that is God. When I see your heaven, says King David, and all of the stars and all that you've made, what is a human being that you should even pay attention to us? These minuscule entities on this tiny little rock revolving around some, uh, you know, random star. Right? So that's all. That's what the Ramhal is talking about. Yeah? So that's Ira. The second is halicha bidrachav, is walking in his ways. These have to do with all of the attributes that a person should do that are straight and appropriate, right? That are upright and just. And in that, you essentially follow God. So the refinement of one's character. And that harambam, all of hilchot derot, basically. Harambam includes halicha bidrachav, walking in his ways. Right. How, what does it mean to walk, to imitate God, so to speak? And this includes, of course, humility, Rahmanut, mercy, being merciful, Nadivut, being generous. You keep away from yourself the arrogance and 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 the stinginess and and the What's it called? Callousness, being mean. Achilut is stinginess. Already gave us a general principle with regards to our attributes in general. And they said, this is a Biudana, see actually in, in Pirkei Abot. Anything that is a, a beautiful is seen as beautiful, that is splendid both for the one who does it and for a human being to do in general is what we should do. And to keep away things that are ugly from things that are just ugly. Don't be ugly. The heart of a person must always lean towards truth and what is ultimately good. And that includes, of course, following Torah and Social refinement. Social refinement means that one interacts with the others, right? With others in the highest, most just, and righteous way. Says we'll talk more about that later too. And third is love. A person should have this love tied to one's. Self. 
that one should be always awakened to do what it is that is pleasing to God. Now, this is very, very interesting. And I find this very interesting. And this, I still don't understand why, Haramba, why uh, the Ramchal wrote this this way. And either he is wrong, which I hesitate to say, or he is uh, minimizing things over here for some reason. And I honestly do not know why. So I'm happy to hear anyone's uh, well-educated and intelligent explanation to this. But here is where he veers from Harambam. And I think that it is, uh, it's a low level of love. It's not a level of love that I don't think is appropriate. I think it's appropriate, but it's a low level. And since here in the Yira'ah, he talks about the highest levels, I would expect him in, in speaking about love to speak about the highest levels, but he does not. He most absolutely does not. And I'll prove it to you that he doesn't. So he says, when he's talking about love, you should do what's pleasing to God. The way that a person does with his mother and father. So the kind of love that the Ramhal is talking about over here is parental love from a child, which is childish. It's not a mature love. So he says, And if a person doesn't please God, he should feel anguish over it the same way that he would feel anguish over not pleasing his parents, if they're nice parents and he loves his parents, right? When he does please God, he should be very happy. Uh, again, it's unfortunate. It's, this is the, the level of ahava that the Ramhal puts for whatever reason. It may be that he saw fit that in this particular work, in this particular development, the way that he was framing things, that this was the kind of love that he wanted people to focus on which is a, the first wrong love, obviously. I mean, there is, this is the, literally the first love that a person has in one's life. It's the first level. So whereas the Yir'ah, he has the highest level, which is impossible to attain, the love, he has the lowest level. If you take a look at Harambam, you see that it's extremely different. I mean, profoundly different. Where here, Arambam goes all out and talks about the very highest levels of love. He never talks about fear that way, interestingly. Never, you don't see in all of the Mishneh Torah, Arambam talk about the fear in the way that the Ramchal did. He recognizes that it's important, right, to fear God in that way and talks about it over there. But this is a whole nother level. He says, Person shouldn't say I'm doing what to get reward or I'm doing Averot so I don't get killed on whatever level. It is unfitting to serve God in this way. What is that? Fear that something's going to happen to you or you're going to get something good for you, right? Which is completely personally oriented. A person who serves this way, serves from fear. This is not the same kind of fear that even Harambam was talking about that I showed you before and where he's contemplating the expanse of the universe, nor the Yira'ah that the Ramchal was talking about, where he talks about God's loftiness and standing before a great king. This is fear that you might get into trouble. So it's a very personal fear, right? This is not the level of the prophets or the wise people. The only people who serve God this way are the are the ignorant people and the women and children. Why women? Because the women in Harambam's time were not educated. Not because women are not capable of doing it. And that's not me and my gloss. Harambam specifically says that, says that because he says about all of them, we teach them all to serve out of fear of these punishments at their earliest stages in life until their dot becomes greater. And that refers back to all of them. 
the Abdu Me'avan that they serve, because remember, the Ame'avs are all men. Right? It's just that the men tended to engage in study as a more systematic thing, right? The women did. Has nothing to do with women specifically in terms of being women. Until their dad becomes greater and they serve how? So as far as Harambam is concerned, everything is about, the whole goal is from moving from Yir'ah to Ahaba. What kind of Ahaba? Mommy, daddy love? No. He says, what kind of love? You should love God in a great, exceeding, intense way. Beyond. Me'od is very much so. To the point that your soul is tied with the love of God. Thank you so much, Acham. I really appreciate it. Uh, first and foremost, wishing you better. Um, glad to hear you're, 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 you're coping with it. But please, God, um, you'll recover ASAP. And looking forward to either an extension of the series, given the fact that we have to go through the other part of the sukkah, uh, or the next series. But regardless, we'll be in touch. And again, thank you so much for everything. You've enriched us, enlightened us, and uh, addicted us, made us addicted too studying according to our cherished Geonik Safaradi HaKamim. So thank you very much. All the best. Kol Tov. Take care. Kol Bye-bye.